Hi there, listeners. It's your friendly neighborhood library student, Belinda Ongaro, and you're listening to Shout for Libraries on CJSR in Edmonton. For those of you who haven't tuned into Shout before, every month we pick a topic relevant to librarianship and information studies. In a mind-boggling turn of events, it is somehow March again. Despite the temporal confusion, we are excited to present to you the second half of last month's episode on digital literacy. Let's dive back into Dan Hackborn's interview with JC and Kyle, who shared their experiences in relation to the digital NWT project. And necessary to those local solutions is skill building, uh, which I guess is kind of the, the mandate of digital NWT and building capacity in that way. So would either of you be willing to, I've heard the term training the trainer, but would either of you be willing to speak more to that? So JC makes instructional videos um, and, uh, and has been considering the orientation of that. So maybe JC, if you wanted to, to talk about um, the process and mindset behind, behind those videos, and I'll talk about the train the trainer stuff. Sure, sounds great. And thanks for answering the last question, Kyle. Answered it a lot better than I could. So I'll start off with um, a goal of digital NWT is sharing resources um, on digital literacy, making it accessible and for the public being able to participate in things such as CIRA and CRTC. So uh, yeah, when it comes to um, information for elders, for youth, um, digital literacy is so important. I know a lot of programs in the NWT offer like free digital literacy for elders. And then I was telling Kyle one time that like even my parents have just in the past, I don't know, decade or so learned how to text, use a cell phone, go on Facebook. And then, then as a teenager, I was like, oh, no, my parents now know technology. But yeah, seeing them learn how to online shop and stuff is kind of weird. But and yeah, I, I guess the younger generations that really grew up with the technology. And if like an elder wants to learn how to use Facebook and connect with family or they have to go use their email or sign on to something to pay a power bill. And it's like okay, how do they stay safe? How do they learn? How do community members without a whole lot of connectivity learn how to stay safe against like malware and spam and hacking? And then um, still today, a lot of youth may not know how to use these technologies. And um, so yeah, really creating accessible learning resources is something that I'm happy to be involved in, like creating digital literacy videos on how to sign on to Zoom, how to check privacy settings on Facebook and doing it in a way that could be understood if um, someone may have like a hearing problem or uh, instructional videos are the best way that they learn. And, 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 and that's, that's exactly it, right? So um, what JC is saying about elders and youth, um, each having their own kind of, uh, the difference in understanding and using technologies um, and, and their own range in digital literacy. And, you know, I, I will say that just because you're a youth doesn't mean that you're necessarily digitally literate. Um, there, there, are, there, are, there are ranges of digital literacy between them. I mean, there's a difference between watching a, a YouTube video and being a, a YouTube creator. 
Um, and there are youth YouTube creators <laughs> on, in, 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 in the Northwest Territories. And so, um, I mean, just last night though, um, I was helping an elder um, log into an international Zoom call um, in which this elder was um, guiding the discussion. Um, what this is, is just another situation in which, I mean, it, it took us a while. It took us, you know, we, we practiced the day before and, and all of this. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we tried various solutions. Um, at one point he was using the phone for audio and Zoom for video because the audio wasn't working. And so it's like trying to navigate all this from a distance um, poses a challenge, right? And so, right, uh, so with the train the trainer um, models and delivery, um, we, I mean, previously had, it had been delivered in person and I'm not a, a community trainer or someone who's delivering that, but I, I have had a chance to review, um, the curriculum to ensure that, uh, um, you know, just re reviewing the locality of it and, and, and things like that. So what digital NWT does is not impose what we view as important to communities. Um, it's more of a collaborative approach, approach where we ask communities, you know, what, what would be beneficial for you to hear about? So for instance, with JC's digital literacy videos, there's a, a big bulk of videos where um, they'll, they'll be under the hashtag NBT digital literacy campaign. And those videos are, 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 are instructional. And like she said, will help um, people on various platforms, like whether using a Mac or a PC to log into Zoom. So it's very elder oriented or, um, or, or to people who are not um, necessarily digitally illiterate, right? Like I said, they don't have to be elders. Um, and it speaks to communities. It's not just a YouTube video, here's how you connect to Zoom. It's like someone from the community being like, you know what, here, here are probably the issues that you're going to encounter, but don't worry, follow me in and let's work through this together. So like the tone of it's a lot different. So, so what's really important I think in this question is, is that we, we don't assert what, what, what communities should learn. Um, it's more that we're hearing from communities and are delivering and tailoring curriculum um, that the trainers would then deliver to those communities in, in which they're reflexive to the, what the communities want to learn. Like if they don't want to learn how to use Microsoft Word or, or Libra or whatever office alternative, um, you know, open source or otherwise, let's say that's not their jam, but they do want to learn about community intellectual property and archiving um, and indigenous protocol as that relates to that. Um, then, then, that's, then that's what the community would engage with, right? So not up to us to determine that but if that's a community interest they would support that and do you find that there have been specific skills or skill sets that the community has asked for and if you could would you speak to uh which ones mm -hmm. um <laughs> so like i said uh the communities in the northwest territories are often differently bureaucratic and you know i'm just i'm just a, a sample of one um, and so can't necessarily speak to um, what the community trainers are hearing from their individual communities that they're working with um, as priorities. But, uh, but I can say in the materials that we're developing, um, it's uh, what we're focusing on right now is establishing community networks. So like offline um, community connectivity. So that means that um, even without the internet, you would be able to, um, you know, ask, uh, you know, uh, so and so desolate down the block um, for for flower at, at three in the morning. Um, you know, even if there wasn't, even if you didn't have to call or text, um, or you can you can share recipes or have like an online photo or archive database or um, or like a language database or or even like um, 
you know, we see, we see open source programs like Makutu um, in which uh, communities can have um, protocol labels, ensuring that individuals who are of that community have gone through um, maybe, maybe cer ceremonial or spiritual protocol um, before they can you know, access the, um, the digitized knowledge. And now with this digitized knowledge, uh, it's Jennifer Wemigwan, um, who's, who's I, I believe an, an, a Ojibwe Anishinaab, um, who, who refers to that dig digitized indigenous knowledge as a digital bundle. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not necessarily, you know, a theory from, from where I'm from. It's not a Dene or Métis or, or Inuit theory from, from you know, Denende or Nethos territories, but um, I really like that treatment. And so there's a lot to learn and a lot to apply and a lot of experiences that, that would be brought into this curricula. Um, but yeah, ultimately it's, it's from the communities themselves. But yeah, sovereignty, autonomy, um, and, and, you know, so sometimes going from just the very, very basics, right, the things that you would need to work in an office um, to uh, explorations on potential of, of um, yeah, a, a, a GIS or, um, or, or, or virtual reality or, or music, you know, I mean, we, those aren't things that we'll necessarily teach in, um, but that we'll touch on, you know, and, and like JC's digital literacy is just fantastic. Like she, not only does she make videos um, or, or, or like instructional videos, but, um, but she uses social media to support language revitalization in such a strong way. Um, and tools like Canva and Photopea and other photo editing things. So it's like, um, yeah, I, I, I'm just like always impressed. <laughs> and, and so, you know, and, and personally, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a video game designer. Like I, I, I use um, video games as a conduit for, um, for language learning or just tools, right? Any tools and technologies as a conduit for, for indigenous language revitalization. And so, um, you know, you get into, into sections of, uh, of the content where you address Unicode, um, for instance. So um, Unicode meaning um, it, it supports orthographies outside of English. So Dene Roman orthographies or syllabics, um, you know, things like that. So I use, I use Dene Roman orthographies in my video game. And this is just you know, one of the many examples of, of the benefits of digital literacy and sovereignty over your own content creation. Um, so yeah, like like community content creation and, and, and sovereignty over networks. Speaking of that, JC, a number of years ago, you began the Speak Witchin to Me campaign on social media. So can you talk about the work that you've done in language revitalization in the years since and whether or not you've seen any major changes during that time and how digital technologies continue to fit into that resurgence? Yes, Masicho, thank you. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about it a while back, hashtag speak which me. It's been like six years, six years of using hashtags to get information out there for language and language revitalization on social media. Yeah, it's been amazing using like six platforms and getting uh, over 3,000 people following for over the past six years. And just by with the hashtag and getting attention through the media and word of mouth and um, being able to speak and stand at local, national, international platforms and um, uh, helping to get the word out for my language, which in with less than 500 speakers and the importance of my language and other languages. 
inspiring others to do the same. Even around the Northwest Territories, there's other language campaigns that started before and after Speak Which Enemy and have been connected with others across the North and Canada that have started their own, even in Alaska. And in relation to what I've seen, um, yeah, I feel like there's a lot more digital campaigns for language revitalization. Hashtag Speak Which Endemy is known as kind of helping to lead the way in that, although I've seen others do the same before me. And now in my nation, there's a which in language um, immersion for uh, junior kindergarten that's just rolling out. So that's really nice to see. And to always keeping up with who's learning the language, who's sharing, who's creating their own campaigns. And um, yeah, I feel like there's a lot more going on than when I started. And it's always really good to see. And um, some communities are getting more connected now in the NWT, such as unlimited internet and more access since then. And I look forward to seeing our languages and our digital access um, get better. So moving on from language, or maybe to complement the topic of language within cultural revitalization, I noticed that many of the digital innovators involved in digital NWT are creative people. Kyle, you yourself just said that you're a video game designer um, and that many of the others are artists or musicians. Was that by design or did it just work out that way? I think you inherently have a lot of creatives in, uh, up in, up in you know, the territories. Um, I, I, I don't actually really want to call it the territories, but, you know, Danende and Inuit Nanangat, where the colonial bounds of Northwest Territories overlap on. And so, um, yeah, there are just like a ton of creative people across all these communities. So imagine like, um, you know, you have, uh, you have that much time outside of the busyness of the industrial uh, urbanized um, South, you know, you have that much uh, time where communities are, are, are more likely to go out. Um, uh, you know, like I said, that, that we, we use technologies differently and have used technologies in, in, uh, for quite a while. So, you know, even, you know, you, people have more of a likelihood to, of using um, I'm going to talk about old school technologies and then I'm going to talk about creative uses of digital technology. So, you know, you have more, more people who are likely to use like trapping and, and skidoos and guns and, uh, and, and those kinds of technologies. Well, you have other technologies like the guitar or like, um, or like the computer. Um, and so, right, you have, you have more people who I think who are, are differently creatively inspired. And, and you know, I, I, I would say that's, that's largely a gift from, from the land and the environment and, and like you're saying, the language. Um, and so with the community and the culture being different and not seeing one's culture necessarily represented in mainstream media, um, perhaps there's more of a, of a want to create, you know, to, <laughs> to create for your communities. So, um, and then, and then you have, then you have really, then you have conspiracy theories, um, like in, 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 in Tabacha, where I'm from, Fort Smith. Uh, there's the rapids of the drowned and people say that you're more creative from there because of the pink noise from the rapids from the infrasound of the pink noise of the rapids so I mean 
for whatever reason, there are a lot of creatives. <laughs> um, and I think that you have, you have just different experiences, right? People who, people who are, are you know, different experiences from, I mean, you're calling from, from, from Edmonton, right, Dan? Um, yeah. So from, um, from larger cities. And, and so um, there's just a, there's a different feeling. And it's not to say you know one's better than the other, but I'm, but um, when the majority of your media is represented by um, people who you who you you aren't represented by, then I think that there's more of a of a want to create. Um, JC, yeah, the, the question around around um, you know the digital innovators that you you've released, including you know Agnes as a creative who you know, um, yeah, what are what are your thoughts around those that we featured? Yeah, it's so amazing. Like the first. NWT digital innovator being Leanne Goose, a singer, an artist, and a lot more from where I'm from in the Delta. Super amazing. Like even saying that representation, as Kyle mentioned before. And then uh, having Agnes Mitchell, one of our Witch End speakers, featured, and how she's working on teaching the language like over Zoom and online, and other artists just. Casey Koizan from Yellowknife and all the amazing work that he's doing. And yeah, it's really amazing seeing representation even from our own people across Denende. And yeah, it's really beautiful and I really enjoy being a part of it. That is really cool. And I should mention that you can watch these videos on the Digital NWT YouTube channel. And uh, in the JC, you bring up bush learning and innovative approaches to land-based teachings, which is obviously another huge important part of uh, cultural revitalization. So can you talk a little bit more about that or describe any particular examples that excite you about how digital technologies might offer opportunities in this direction? Sure. So yeah, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to like technology and on the land like um for the past two years i've been involved in uh youth programming on the land it's not really on the land it's kind of like an hour outside of tate or fort mcpherson at midway lake or like an hour outside of Nuvik at the which in campground and i grew up like on the land like you got over the red bush plane and that's all there is to see you in the land, but when it's connected by roads, it's all different, but we're making our way further and further out there. <laughs> so, um, but still, uh, um, I find that there's like spots where there, there's more connectivity and where there's not. And usually youth will find where they can access Facebook, <laughs> either like walking up a hill or something and just being out there is um it's a nice way to get away from technology but at the same time um like bringing youth out there that may miss the technology and may want to still remain connected and then also speaking to other community members where they don't want to be connected maybe they're hunters and they're out on the land and they want their communities to stay more traditional and culturally oriented. And this upcoming weekend after the one next weekend, I'm helping putting on a trapping camp, setting it up on the land for youth outside of a clavic about 10 minutes away. And then the week after that, I'm helping setting up a language camp about an hour outside of Anuvik. And um, yeah, it's kind of, 
yeah, getting youth on the land and they may still be able to connect. That was one of our questions. And it's mostly also connectivity is so crucial. Like in case we need something brought into brought to the camp from town or something happens. And especially when it comes to other technologies such as sat phones, satellite phones, that's super expensive technology to connect to one another from the bush and um and then also being able to bring my digital language revitalization activism from technology back to on the land with our elders and our language champions and our youth and talking about language just really powerful and there's so many layers and things to talk about did you want to add anything kyle jc that's a really solid answer <laughs> and there's something really beautiful about the idea or the mental image that i now have of uh of someone on their phone, but also staying in one of those beautiful Fort McPherson tents that's out, out in the bush there. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you guys have a prior engagement coming up, but I want to get in this one last question. Uh, we're just talking about the land and it's impossible to talk about the land in the North without acknowledging that the effects of climate change uh, are going to have huge impacts there, um, giving that the north is warming at a faster rate than down here in southern latitudes of Canada. So I was just wondering if you see any digital skills or infrastructure offering any opportunities uh, for mitigation or adaptation and how the vulnerabilities of infrastructure up there, given permafrost melt and things like that, might affect these opportunities going forward. Vulnerabilities of infrastructure. That's a great way to phrase that. Um, yeah. So, so like you're saying, you know, you, you have variabilities in 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 climate change, and uh, and so it's not just you know global global warming. I mean, it's 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 what minus minus sixty today in Inuvik, JC. Um, so, and your internet is handling it well, um, and uh, and I'm willing to say, are, are you are you connected, JC, by by fiber optic? Yeah, we have fiber optic here. It's been minus 50 for like over a week in Anubic and today in Yellowknife it's minus 60. Very cold. And so those those um, those fiber optic lines can last, I mean, because the, the, the snow um, does melt. Um, and so you know, they're, they're trenched. So it's trench fiber optic lines. You also have satellites overhead. Um, and then you have you know, variable solutions. You have the, you have, you know, the deep sea <laughs> trench lines also. Um, so there's a, there, there, there are a few uh, different companies that are doing that. And then you have with uh, various uh, reception. Um, and, and JC, I think, I think actually I'd really, um, yeah, really liked when when you had brought up the other day about um, that that youth and elders will will um, w have a different want for technology or or a different want for for internet connectivity. So, like for instance, um, a lot of elders will say, like you know, it's 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 hampering um, connections to the land, um, and so you know, with this push for locally owned um, community networks in lieu of uh, the internet. Um, uh, or, or, or at least, you know, sovereignty over knowledges. And if not that type of connectivity, then, then human connectivity, like what is it that, that the internet replaces? What type, you know, why is, why is connectivity that, that same, that same word? Well, <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's this abstract, um, parallel to say, um, 
there are alternative solutions being used to bring us together. And so, um, you know, as much as there's a varying embrace on even bringing internet into communities, you have people like Elon Musk who are providing, you know, what is it, the, the SpaceX satellites or whatever um, that will bring in um, internet connectivity uh, a lot better than, um, than landlocked lines or whatever, those fiber optic lines. Um, so you have those LEO satellites, um, which um, which do I mean which which function better if if it's if it's particularly cloudy then um, then you then you're not able to to access satellite um, as much. So the pushes for redundancies that's really what is 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 if 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 there's a want for internet connectivity um, then then you would have to have redundant infrastructure. Um, then if so, that's internet. But if it's intranet connectivity, um, that's going to look different um, for each community, right? Intranet being those community networks, community-owned community networks. Uh, bringing up the idea of data sovereignty and network sovereignty, I think, is a really exciting future uh, to articulate. So. Leaving aside all possible limitations or concerns or obstacles, would you be willing to share and leave us with maybe a dream of what Northern digital culture looks like ideally in 2030 or 2050, if you're able to just blue sky an idea? Wow. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I want my language to flourish, hopefully by 2040 at least. <laughs> have been creating more speakers, have equal connectivity since uh, connection is really is a human right now, especially as we move forward. So to be able to better infrastructure where wanted and needed. What about you, Kyle? Yeah, that's a really great answer. Um, and, uh, and, and for me, so, so the question was, you know, 20, 40 years. Um, with this question, I like to think, you know, what about in 500 years? Because I don't think that digital tools will necessarily be sustainable um, uh, for, for the next millennia in the way that we have been using them. Or, you know, there's only so much you can mine Bolivia. There's only so much you can mine other indigenous communities or other countries, right? Um, and, and Canada's particularly bad for it. And, uh, and I, you know, Apple and, 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 and Tesla are particularly bad for that. Um, so uh, I think that there's an end. I think there's ultimately an end um, to, to that. So um, my embrace in the meantime um, is, you know, how are we going to use these technologies in a way that we aren't mentally and culturally dependent on them, but allows us, um, like JC's saying, to, to flourish in our own way, to use them uh, in a way that, you know, allows us to fight against um, <laughs> anglophonic uh, and colonial hegemony. Um, and so uh, th those, those technologies, are, technologies and tools are great in the meantime, but, um, but there's an eventual end and how are we going to use them consciously in a way that meets that end. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and share this all with our listeners. Well, I wish you all the best in your plans heading forward. And I'll keep a weather eye on uh, everything y'all are doing up there. So once again, thank you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and uh, take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Daniel. Fascinating stuff. We're so honored to have these two contributing to the show. Thanks so much, Dan.
I also had the opportunity to chat with Jessie Carell about her company, Hands-On Media Education, and the power of digital storytelling. So let's give that a listen, shall we? All right. Welcome, Jessie. Thanks, Elena, for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be chatting with you. Um, so, <laughs> Jessie, do you want to let our listeners know a couple things about yourself and about your company? Okay. Um, so I, I actually got into filmmaking uh, myself as a filmmaker in university. I did an anthropology degree, and for my honors thesis, I asked if I could make a film instead of write an essay. And my anthropology supervisor said, okay, but you're going to have to learn how to you know, make a film as well as do all the research that you would n- normally have to do for the essay. But I was really interested in exploring research through ethnographic film. Mm-hmm. That was my first kind of foray into film. And then I got into communications. I did a grad diploma in communications. I really was into sound and, and, and film as well. And then I did a master's in media production at Ryerson and just really loved teaching other people how to tell their own story through media. I didn't spend long making my own media before I switched right into facilitating the experience for others because I really saw the power of storytelling Mm -hmm. uh, in the participants that I was working with. And that just brought me so much gratification and I could just see how this was something that I was really going to enjoy. I love people and I love stories and I love media and I love education. And so all those things kind of came together. So for my master's thesis, I, I started a project called shout out media teaching teenage girls, media literacy, feminism, and media production. Mm -hmm. So we traveled from Victoria, BC to St. John's, Newfoundland, stopping every weekend in a new community teaching teenage girls these things and it was amazing it was one of the best things i've ever done like just fascinating to talk to these girls and meet them and i right when i got back to toronto i got hired by the national film board to deliver workshops with them through their media digital literacy program that was teaching students in toronto and montreal how to tell their own stories through video and an animation, documentary, digital storytelling. And we even did drawing and scratching on film, which was really fun. And uh, it was it was great. And we were super popular. Like it was a really packed program. And I was like my master's was in media literacy. And so I just was so excited that the National Film Board was such a supporter of that. So I worked with the National Film Board for five years and just loved it. Um, got promoted to team leader and was relocated to the headquarters in Montreal. And it was it was amazing. It, you know, it was a dream job. I was also doing a lot of special work, special events. And then in 2015, they cut the whole program. Oh, and no. It was heartbreaking. <laughs> it was heartbreaking for all of us. And I won't go into the details of it, but it was it was really hard for all of us. But I knew I knew immediately that I wanted to start hands on media and I knew that this was work that I I knew had value. I knew that Canadians needed more of this, not less of it. Right. And Mm -hmm. I loved the work. And so 
it's been, yeah, it's been almost six years. We've just federally incorporated as a nonprofit and things have been really, really exciting and diverse and fulfilling and evolving. And the, the reach that we have is pretty, pretty exciting, uh, for for what we can do online right now but we you know what's so surprising to me on to be totally honest with you is how little media education there is for people of all ages especially when our online usage has just shot through the roof for most of us uh especially during covid right there's not the same it's not it's not growing in tandem with with the usage and so that's what our mission really is to do is to try to uh, bring media education to everyone not just the ones that have the fancy workshops and the fancy laptops that their mom and dad Mm -hmm. buys them but for everyone that's interested in connecting with people online learning online expanding their their mind and their horizons there's so much potential from an educational point of view and and development point of view that we really want to be encouraging people to use the internet and technology, but in really safe and responsible ways. And I've, I've found that video production is such a fun and really, really powerful way to learn real core media education skills. Mm-hmm. Um, while just being, it's just so powerful and, and, and it's fun and you don't tell necess- you don't necessarily say, Oh, this is a media and digital literacy workshop to students. Mm-hmm. I don't tell them that it's just full of traditional literacy, media and digital literacy, foundational kind of concepts, mm-hmm. but they just think it's video creation. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's been, it's been wild. That's it's been amazing. a wild ride. That sounds so cool. I love what you do. Um, just for those who don't know, um, I, I know Jesse through working with Digital NWT, um, but I also was able to attend one of her digital storytelling workshops, which was a delight. Jesse, do you want to just kind of explain what digital storytelling is and what these workshops look like? Yeah, for sure. So I've taught documentary film courses before. And when you have like all of the regular equipment that documentary films can have in terms of like a larger cam video camera and tripods and even a light kit and sound equipment, it can be quite overwhelming for first time filmmakers to really get into the process. So I really love digital storytelling, which is a entry level documentary video course. Really, um, I'm use, I'm basing it on the format um, that was originally called the Center for Digital Storytelling out of Berkeley, California. They've since changed their name to Story Center, and I love them down there. We have, you know, definitely played with the idea of working together at different different capacities, but nothing's really stuck. But I really look to them as inspiration. Um, they've kind of come up with the format, which is a combination of photographs, voice, music, and text. And you weave it together using an open source or free video editing program. You add, you know, title and credits. It's super technically easy to do. But what's so cool is that the story then is really allowed to, to shine through. So 
Uh, people don't get discouraged, hopefully, with the tech. And 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 the most incredible things can come from it, the, the most incredible stories. And people really uh, seem to really like uh, the creation of it. And, and then they get to keep the project. So we've done, you know, it, it can be based on any theme. Um, you know, I've done ones kind of as general as who am I, where have I, where have I been, and where am I going as kind of a general frame for their story, but it can also be, um, you know, talking specifically about climate change and how that affects you. Or I'm working with a, a group right now in Quebec, a group of grade fours, and they're doing theirs on anti-bullying. But we're not even framing it as anti-bullying. We're talking about respect, respecting ourselves, respecting others, and respecting our communities. So it's really beautifully fluid and, and open-ended I always tell the students if, if something is striking them and they really want to like riff and go off in a different direction that's amazing go for it mm-hmm. if you there's no right or wrong way to to make a digital story in my eyes and they're they're relatively you know short like they're two or three minutes maybe up to six minutes but they really pack a punch they really pack a punch and some really incredible stories of resilience and of love and of learning and of humility and of um, true ambition and, and goals for where they want to go. It's, it's, it's an incredible job to, to be the recipient of all these stories. I hear them and, and yeah, I just feel really honored to be in that space. That's wonderful. And when you create these programs and offer them, who is kind of your end learner that you have in mind? Who are you trying to do this for? Anyone that's consuming media. Mm -hmm. So I'm really trying to help people shift from passive consumers of media into active creators. You know, not a lot of people have the critical thinking skills to, to sit with media, whether that be an article they're reading online or a YouTube video or a tweet and sit with it and just, pause for a few seconds before they just eat it up and just totally believe it and share it and they've never thought about it most people actually don't really have that that critical thinking skill development which is really scary and 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 quite hard to believe honestly it's it's such an important part of being a free thinking independent free agent we are, you know, incredibly smart and we should be exercising this uh, ability to be independent and have the, have the, just the, the, the questioning, you know, that should be the first, the first step that anyone does when they're consuming any media is to just take a pause and, and think about it for a second. Um, the, the, there's no better way to learn those skills than to make your own. So I really do love that through the creation, we're learning the, the power of music and because we're we're choosing it ourselves for our project. So the next time you see a movie, you might be more attuned to what kind of mood the filmmaker has very heavy handedly <laughs> tried to set for you and the audience. Right. So it's, it's really fun. I, I mean, I also do stop motion animation uh, with a lot of kids and that's a very, it's much more playful, a lot more tactile. They're creating their own clay characters. They're shooting it with an iPad and it's, so that's a whole other genre, but um, can also be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Now, when I attended your storytelling workshop, I was fortunate enough to be able to come and see you in person. 
-hmm. What do things look like now with COVID restrictions for you? Um, it's, it's so interesting. Um, and I thank you for the opportunity to reflect on it. I've been able to reach more students than ever before. There's, you know, the business that I started is called hands-on media education. So the irony is not lost on me that a lot of the work I'm doing right now is not, I'm not hands-on teaching it, but they're hands-on learning it. Mm -hmm. So there's been a slight shift there, but the the scope and the reach is just so much bigger. It's it's really exciting. Uh, I when COVID first hit, I was already teaching some online workshops, so it wasn't totally a stretch for me. But I I felt for the parents and the students that were at home. Uh, I felt I felt badly that they maybe didn't have enough to do or were confused about about just how to fill their days. The school wasn't on. And so I started home at home, which was me delivering a six week workshop series, a series of videos every week, I'd send them out with a newsletter and any other additional resources they might find helpful. And then I just wanted to see who who would come. And I I left it as a pay what you can. Mm -hmm. So no one would be turned away for sure. And we had people from Japan, from Bangladesh, from Austria, from the States, all across Canada. Like, to me, I was like, oh, my God. I, whoa, okay, cool. That's awesome. And now I just wrapped up uh, round two of digital storytelling in Quebec. And it's open to all of these high schools and elementary schools across Quebec, the whole province of Quebec. We had almost 700 students doing digital storytelling with me. Wow. In the fall. So, and we're talking about belonging. We're talking about the importance of community and communities right now Mm -hmm. and why it's, why we need to be, you know, helpful to other people that might've just moved to Canada. Maybe they don't have very many communities. So what can we do to extend our hand and make them feel more welcome? So it's not just the media literacy stuff. It's, the, the, the social element of it too that right. I just find so important and when I think about like 700 kids all hearing that and all being engaged in these discussions about respect and caring about each other it just makes me feel really good yeah no kidding I mean storytelling in itself has incredible power to to deliver messages to instill lessons and learning and so to be able to create stories while teaching these lessons as well, while also instructing on how to use this technology. It's just incredible. So very awesome work that you're doing. Now, I think that's all I've got for questions for you. Um, unless there's anything else you wanted to add. No, I, I, I would just encourage everyone to be more media literate and digitally literate and just really open your eyes to this these really important new skills that we all need to be developing and there's mm-hmm. all kinds of online resources that you can check out for free uh media smarts is an amazing resource in canada for anyone that doesn't know about them also namely or common sense media in the states does amazing work the news literacy project in the states there's so much great mm-hmm. stuff so um did you want to yeah. plug any of your own socials 
Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And I've started making media literacy minutes on TikTok, which are so fun. So it's hands underscore on underscore media for all of them. And yeah, I'm I'm really into the TikTok. I gotta say. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much, Jesse. It's been wonderful chatting with you. And I hope our listeners enjoy hearing about everything you're doing. Thank you so much, Belinda. And that's all for now. All of us at Shout hope you enjoyed this two-part episode. We sure enjoyed making it. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook page or Instagram at Shout for Libraries or on Twitter at Shout, the number four, Libraries. You can find all of our past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Want to have your own voice heard on Shout? Well, we're always looking for new full-time and part-time contributors to join our team. Get in touch at news at cjsr.com to find out more. And don't forget to check it out.